Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. It is a great blessing to be here with you all this morning. I'm very grateful to be able to stand before you to preach God's word and to be encouraged by your singing and everything this morning. I want to thank everyone for your prayers, for the food and all that sort of stuff with our daughter, Laura Jane, being born. It is so great to have a church family that we can look to for help and that we can depend upon when things, you know, can get a little hectic, especially with the introducing a a third child. Um, Very, very grateful for you all. So you can see this morning, the topic is the fear of God and its benefits. And as I was studying for this and I was looking up, you know, different passages about the fear of God and trying to understand the fear of God, I had a question that kind of came to mind for me. And it's, what is fear? I mean, just have to, if I'm going to talk about the fear of God, I have to understand what fear is. And I feel like as I was as I was studying this, I was realizing I didn't really even have a concrete sense of what I meant when I said the I have a fear of snakes, or I have a fear of heights, or something like that. What does somebody mean when they say, I'm afraid of this, or I have a fear of that? Well, I think there's a few things that I kind of realized as I thought about things that people might be afraid of. And the first thing is that fear is not really like an on and off switch, right? That we can sort of have gradual levels of fear. For instance, if you are afraid of heights, and you are also afraid of really venomous snakes, You might be more afraid of one than the other. It's not like you're equally afraid of both. Another thing about fear that kind of struck me was that someone could say, I have a fear of snakes, or I could say that right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm currently feeling afraid, right? Like if I say I have a fear of snakes, I don't mean that right now I am trembling at the thought of snakes. What I mean is that I understand that when I get around a really venomous snake, I start to feel afraid. Because I recognize that the power that that thing has, because I recognize that this thing could do damage, long-lasting damage. And so to say that I have a fear of something is not to say, you know, that you're always walking around feeling afraid, but you have this baseline understanding that this thing has power. And that sort of changes the way you might be when you're around that thing. And I think this sort of realization about fear, these two different things, is not an on and off switch, and that it's something that is not just a feeling, but there's also some understanding to it. It's really helpful as we turn to what the Bible has to say about fear and the need to fear God. In 1 Peter 2, verse 17, it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We need to fear God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Fear Him. Going back to uh, Chris Taylor's sermon a couple of weeks ago, if God is authority and He says to fear God, guess what we should do? Fear Him, right? That's what we should do. As long as I'm not ripping this out of context, right? Fear Him. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let's cleanse ourselves from all defilements of flesh and spirits, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here we see fear of God is something that we should have, but also as something that is instrumental in the perfecting of our holiness. 
It has a benefit associated with it, if you will. But it is helpful in cleansing ourselves and perfecting in holiness. Peter and Paul, they're not the only ones who say through the Spirit to fear God, but Jesus himself tells us to fear God. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says to his disciples, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now what we need to recognize as we read this passage is the context. Because Jesus is taking, talking to his disciples as he is about to send them out to go spread the good news of the kingdom. And he's telling them that you will be persecuted. You're going to face persecution. But do not fear those people more than you fear God. Fear God more than you fear those people. Because those people who are going to persecute you, they can only destroy your body. God can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And I think recognizing that context helps us see that the fear that God, Jesus is calling his disciples to have here is not merely a respect. Because he's not saying, and do not respect those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather respect him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's something more than respect that is being called for here because it's not as if he's afraid of his disciples respecting those people who might persecute them. He doesn't want them to be afraid of what they will do to them. That's what he doesn't want. And he's calling their attention to their, that there's a greater person to be afraid of. And that helps us see another reason beyond just God says so for us to fear God. Because ultimately, it is idolatry to fear anything else more than God. Let's see what the psalmist has to say in chapter 96, verses 4 through 9. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come, to him, come into his courtyards. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. The psalmist is calling us to fear God above all else. For all of the earth to tremble before him. And as you look at this, you can see what is associated or what is kind of wrapped up in this fear of the God is a recognition that God is above all the other gods because he made the heavens. They didn't. Because he's the one who has all the glory, all the strength, all the power, not them. And so to fear something else more than God ultimately means that you're saying this other thing has more power than God. And as we saw last week in Jordan Winslow's sermon, God is all-powerful. There is nothing else more powerful than him. And so to fear something more than him is to give something else or ascribe to something else more power than God himself. Jeremiah 10 echoes this in verses 6 and 7 where it says, There is none like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For it is your due. 
For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There is no one like God in his power, in his might. Who would not fear him? It is his due. No one is greater in might. No one is wiser. It is his due that we should fear him. Because in recognizing the power that he has, fear is due. Fear is due. And so this is one way in which it is idolatry to fear anything else more than God, because it is saying that something else has more power than him. But there's another sense in which I believe um, it is idolatry to fear something else more than God, and it is the impact that fear has in our lives. And to illustrate this, I want to think about a horse. Okay, I can say, and I'm not afraid to say this, I have a fear of horses. Okay. Now, it's not like an irrational fear, okay? Like, it's a really logical, rational fear because I know that beast is seven to 800 pounds heavier than me, okay? And so when I get around that thing, it's heavier, it's bigger, it's faster, and if it hit me with its hoof, long-lasting damage, right? It's not irrational fear. I really understand this thing is powerful. This thing is mighty. And so you know what that does when I get around a horse? It makes me be really calm. Knowing the power that this thing has makes me think, I don't want to spook this. I don't want this beast to think I am its enemy. Because I know it could destroy me if I do. And so in this way, recognizing the power that God has or something has ultimately dictates our actions. When we fear something, we give that thing control over our actions and over our behavior. The same way my fear of horses controls the way I act when I'm around that thing. And so it is idolatry to fear something else more than God because you are ultimately giving more control to that thing than you are God when you fear it more. And so we cannot allow ourselves to think that we should fear something else more than God because he is the most powerful, the most mighty thing, and he needs to have control over our lives. And so why should you fear God? Well, because at a baseline, because Jesus told his disciples to, right? But then also because it's idolatry to fear something else more. But also because the benefits... Are amazing. The benefits are amazing. Uh, back in August, I got what Jesse and I call my first big boy job. And we call it that because it's the first job I've ever had with benefits. And one of the things that I realized uh, whenever I was thinking about this was that having benefits is a kind of big deal. <laughs> and it is a big deal. You know, when people are going and they're looking for a job, one of the things they're going to be asking, well, what's the benefits package? What are the benefits? Tell me about the benefits. In fact, I've gone and looked at job applications recently, and you know what they have lined out? The benefits. They tell you the benefits. This is a really big deal to have benefits for a job, and that's going to dictate whether or not you go to this job or that job based upon the benefits. And let me tell you something. The benefits are amazing from fearing God. They are amazing. We're going to look at one story and then a few examples. The story we're going to look at to start analyzing the benefits goes back to the reading we had this morning in Exodus chapter 1. Thank you, Brandon, for that reading. 
In Exodus chapter 1, just to summarize, since we had it read this morning to us, starting in verse 8, there's this king who arises. And this king, he looks at the Israelites and he sees that they are growing. And he says they are, they are growing in number and they are too many and too mighty for us. And so let us deal shrewdly with them. And so they begin to oppress them and to assign taskmasters over them and to make their lives bitter with hard work. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread out so that the Egyptians dreaded the children of Israel. They dreaded them because they kept on growing. And what did they do? They doubled down. They made their lives bitter with hard labor. They acted violently towards them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of them named Shiphrah and another one named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he, she shall live. Okay, so let's get, make sure we get the picture here. The Pharaoh and the Egyptians are terrified of the Israelites. They're greatly afraid of them. And because they are greatly afraid of them, they have oppressed them, they have enslaved them, they have attacked them, and now they've sought to murder their babies because of their fear. And I want you to think for a second about if you were Shipra and Pua, okay? Imagine that you are one of these midwives. Your job is to deliver babies. You belong to a group of people that is oppressed and enslaved and violently attacked by the Egyptians. And now the mightiest and strongest person in Egypt comes to you and has something that he wants you to do. Kill the baby boys. He's already demonstrated what he's willing to do because he's oppressed and he's enslaved. He's already demonstrated that he's willing to have you killed because he's asking you to kill someone. What would your reaction be? How would you feel if you were Shipra and Pua? I'd be scared. I'd be, I'd be afraid. What's he going to do to me? What's he going to do to my family? What's he going to do to my loved ones? I'll be honest, I'd be conflicted because I would be afraid. But the Shipra and Pua, they feared God. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. Funniest line in the Bible. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Here, I think we see a very clear contrast between what happens when you fear God the most and when you have something else that you fear the most. Because with the Egyptians and the Pharaoh, we see what happens when we fear this other thing the most. What did they do? They oppressed, they enslaved, and they murdered. That's what they did. But these midwives, they feared God the most and they saved lives. The Egyptians and Pharaoh, 
They feared something else more, and it sent their nation on a path towards ruin. It was this oppression, this enslavement, and this decision to kill the babies that ultimately leads to Moses and the ten plagues in the Red Sea. It sets them on a path towards ruin. But the midwives feared God. And their nation became mighty. The Egyptians feared something else more than God, and they got God's vengeance. But the midwives, in fearing God the most, got God's blessing. So I want to ask you a question. Are the benefits amazing? When you fear God more than anything else, it is better for you and it is better for everyone around you. Because when you let something else be your fear and to control you, you hurt other people, period. It hurts you, it hurts them. The benefits of fearing God are not just for yourself, but they are for everyone around you as well. And the benefits, they go on. We can talk about how the fear of God leads us to not sin from Exodus 20 and 20. We can talk about how the fear of God, it was for the Israelites' own good and survival in Deuteronomy 6, 24. We could go to Proverbs and see that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now that's a benefit right there, right? I've got a wife and three children. I need all the wisdom I can get. Okay, I don't know about you, but I need all the wisdom I can get. And I need that benefit, so I need to fear God. And you've got your own reasons, okay? You may not have a wife and three children, but you've got something and you need wisdom. So you need to fear God. And the fear of God leads to evangelism and church growth. You look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, 5.11, which says that the fear, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And Acts 9.31 talks about the church living in the fear of the Lord. They grew. There are benefits. They go on and on. The benefits of fearing God. It's better for you. It's better for everyone around you. And I want to look at one just briefly more in detail. Is that there's a benefit of life that comes from fearing God. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life by which one may avoid the snares of death. And in Proverbs 19, 23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The benefits are amazing. They lead to life. They allow you to sleep satisfied. The benefits are great to fearing God. And there's one other benefit that I want to talk about for this moment, and it's that God is terrifying. And this is actually beneficial. And I don't know about you, but I would I have never said terrifying and good in the same sentence, right? <laughs> like I've never said those things together. So I, I want to explain that it really is good that God is terrifying. And there's one passage in particular that's helpful for this, and it's James chapter 2, verse 19. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons know God exists, and what does that cause them to do? Tremble. 
And that's good news, because you know what I don't want the demons to be thinking? I can do whatever I want. I don't have to fear this God. I want the demons to tremble at the thought of God. That's what I want. That's good news to me. And the Israelites, they had some, they had a similar experience. After, you know, all that, all that happened with Moses being raised up and the ten plagues come and the Red Sea parts and the Egyptians are swallowed up in the Red Sea. The Egyptians, they sing a song in Exodus chapter 15. It's sometimes called the Song of Moses. First song in the Bible, actually. And this song is a song of praise to God. And they highlight how good it is that God is terrifying. Let's start reading in verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You reached out with your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your faithfulness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Notice here, they are singing a song of praise. There is no one as majestic in holiness as our God. And he has reached out and he has swallowed up the Egyptian army. And because of this, the peoples have heard and they tremble. And they go on singing. Then the chiefs of Edom were terrified. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have despaired. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, Lord. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, which you have made as your dwelling the sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Israelites recognize that it is good that God is terrifying because it means their enemies, the enemies of God, are terrified of him. Because they recognize that their enemies, the enemies of God being terrified of him, is central to their salvation, to their inheritance of the promised land. The enemies of God being terrified is part of their redemption. And it is ours too. It is a good thing that God is terrified, terrifying, because it means his enemies are terrified of him, or will be at some point in time if they're not already. And when we stop and we think about this idea that it's good that God is terrifying because it makes the enemies of God terrified, ultimately what I think this points to is that it is what makes this quote of Paul so encouraging. If God is for us, who can be against us? Coming from Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? That rhetorical question is so encouraging, right? Like I gain so much benefit from thinking, if God is for us, who can be against us? But ultimately, this quote, this saying from Romans chapter 8, it carries its weight because God is the most powerful, most mighty, and most terrifying being to exist. He is the most fearsome foe to have. 
And because he's on our side, it means nothing else could get us. And that is so good that he is fearsome and he protects his own with that terrifying, fearsome, fearsome nature, that power, that might, that strength. It is good for us that God is terrifying. And so we need to fear God more than anything else because we're told to, because it's idolatry not to, and because the benefits are amazing. Now, we need to fear God, right? Done. But what does it mean? And we kind of talked about it some. I've tried to dump in some things that I've thought of along the way. What does it mean to fear God exactly? What does that look like? I mean, what about things like grace and trust and mercy and love? Like, how do we understand a fear of the God in light of these things that we're all supposed to, also supposed to understand, like trusting God and loving Him? And doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out fear? I mean, how, what does it look like to fear God in light of these other things? Let's, let's address this for a moment, because I think it's helpful it's helpful for me when I'm thinking about what does it mean to fear God to ask, what, is, what does it mean in light of these other things that are part of my relationship with God and this thing in 1 John about perfect love casting out fear? What does it look like to fear God? First, let's ask the question, are fear and love opposing one another? Okay, Because that's what it kind of sounds like from perfect love casts out fear. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, you see this being told to the Israelites. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? The idea that fear and love are contradictory to one another and opposing one another is a superficial one. Because right here, in the same breath, in the same sentence, the Israelites are being told, fear God and love him. And so we apparently, as complex beings, have the ability to do complex things, fear and love, at the same time. So no, fear and love are not opposing one another, whatever it is. It does not have to contradict. What about fearing and trusting? I mean, can you really say that you, you fear and you trust God? Does that make sense? Let's look at Psalm 34, 4 through 9 for this. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their, faces and their faces will never be ashamed. This wretched man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no lack of anything. You think this psalmist understands fear and trust in God as opposing one another? I don't think so. The whole thing is about how you can trust him, about how he will rescue you, about how he can be your refuge, and that those who fear him will not lack anything. Fearing God and trusting him, they go hand in hand. Psalm 40, 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. 
He brought me up out of the pits of destruction, out of the mud, and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps burn. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. We could go on and on with Psalm 64 and Psalm 66 and Psalm 67, Proverbs 14, talking about how the fear of God is over and over again combined with a trust in Him. And even going back to the passage we read earlier with Jesus, we see a fear of God connected with a trust in Him. Because when he told them to fear the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell, he continues to say, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus, like the psalmist, understands that you can fear God and you can trust him. That you can fear him and you can understand that he ultimately cares for you and you can have confidence that he is with you. And so that kind of brings us to this verse, perfect love casts out fear. In 1 John 14, 4, verse 17 18, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so does perfect love cast out fear? Absolutely. But in what way? In what way? Think think about the context here. The context that John is addressing here is a fear that is lacking confidence in salvation. But the fear that we've just been talking about that we're called to have, it doesn't lack confidence in salvation. In fact, it's often causing confidence in salvation, knowing that you fear God. And so what is the fear that is cast out by love? It is the tormenting thought that God is not actually on your side. Because you understand God's love and his care for you. You know that he is, he is, because you know God's love and his care for you, and you have chosen him, you know he's on your side. And you can fear him at the same time as that, recognizing that there is no one more terrifying and no one more powerful. And so what does it look like? Well, what does it not look like? It is not something that's contradictory to love and trust in God. What does it look like? Well, one of the a very clear passages mentioned briefly is it looks like hating evil. In Proverbs 8, 13, it says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's really concrete. I like that. Because I want to know what it looks like to fear God. Hate evil. And there's not a very clear connection there for me, so I'll mention a couple of things. One thing I think that it helps me to understand is that idea of fear gives control. And when you hate evil, you're giving control over to God. Another thing that's helpful for me to think about with how hating evil can cause you to fear God is goes back to this power that he has. What happens when you hate something? I know what happens when I hate something. I want it gone. I want it destroyed. And who destroys more powerfully than God? 
to hate evil. I mean, and you compare yourself to God. To hate evil, you would want it eradicated. And if God is all good, you know he wants it eradicated even more than you. And who has more power than you? God does. I mean, just contemplating on the power that he has and the goodness of God and his hatred of evil. And in my own hatred of evil, I began to think, I don't want to align myself with evil. And so fearing God, it looks like hating evil, but it's also, as I've tried to address as we've gone through this morning, a natural reaction to immense power. The example with the horse earlier is exactly that sort of thing. I recognize the power that that thing has, and it makes me kind of scared. When we recognize that God has power, it should cause us to have some sense of fear. And these examples I have on the board, Exodus 14, 1 Samuel 12, Mark 4, Luke 8, God or Jesus is becoming feared because of a demonstration of power. In Exodus 14, the Israelites were literally just saved by God. They got to know he's on their side. But by seeing the Egyptians swallowed up in the Red Sea, they fear God because of the power that was on display. The disciples, when the waves are rocking and they cry out to Jesus to save us and he calms that storm in Mark 4, the disciples are afraid. Why would they be afraid? Jesus literally just saved their lives. Because power evokes fear. And being around great power, even if you have a confidence that it's on your side, that can make you tremble. And so as we close this morning and we contemplate what it looks like to fear, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 27 for a minute because the picture of God that is given here helps me better understand what it means to fear God. In Isaiah chapter 27, 2 through 5, it says, A vineyard of beauty, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it day, night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn, I would burn them completely. Or let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. The picture here is really helpful for me as I meditate on it and I think about it. We're understanding what it means to fear God because it is showing us just how fearsome and terrifying it would be to be God's enemy. Because if you come against God in battle, what's going to happen? You're going to get stepped on and you're going to get burned completely. There's no more fearsome of a foe to face than our God. But you know what God wants more than to step on his enemies? To make peace with them. For them to rely on his protection. And so in light of this picture here, in light of everything we've studied this morning, when I think about what it means to fear God and what you should do as you contemplate how you should fear God, I think there's three different groups of people that come to mind for me. And it's going to look a little bit different depending on who you are. If you are the Christian who has dedicated your life to God and you are fixated on him, you give him control of your life, you're trying to become more like Jesus every day. Fear for you should look like an understanding of this image, that God is your protection. He is your peace, but he is mighty in power. And what a terrifying thing it would be 
to go against him. But you get to rest in confidence knowing that he is your peace. If you have become a Christian at some point in your life, but you know that you've let other things gain control over you, you know that you're on a trajectory away from him. I think the fear of God's going to look a little, bit, a little bit different from you. Because I think you should look at this picture and recognize the trajectory that you're on and be shaken to your core and tremble at the thoughts of becoming God's enemy. Because if you stay on the path you're on, that's going to happen. If you are on a trajectory away from God, be afraid, be very afraid. And make peace with him. Or if you are not a Christian at all. If you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins. And have not gained access to the Father's mercy through Jesus. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Because you have aligned yourself with the enemy. And you will be stepped on. And you will be burned Completely. And I don't want that. Nobody in this room wants that. God doesn't even want that. If you're not a Christian this morning, there is one thing that you need to do immediately. Rely on God for protection. Make peace with him. Talk to somebody today because you don't want to face this. Or come to us now and allow us to help you. If you'll have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com